Welcome to Thrive in the Future podcast, positive solutions to help you thrive, homestead, garden, and designing your intentional life. Okay, welcome back to Thrive in the Future. This week, I have John McCoy with me, and we're talking about how to reinvent yourself. So, John, welcome. Hey, Scott, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really, really good. So give a little background on where you're coming from. And you were on Mark Claire's show here lately. Give us a little bit of background on your freelancing. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been a freelance writer. Um, I specialize in blog and article writing. Um, so it technically I think falls under kind of the uh, overall umbrella of copywriting, but it's not necessarily like a B2B or B2C, you know, sales copy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more along the lines of a tool in the toolbox of driving inbound traffic to a website. What I've done specifically is kind of leveraged my career in aviation, um, to, tailoring that towards the sort of clients I take on. I um, have done it all together, seven years and two years as a full-timer now. Cool. Mm -hmm. One of the tips that I see that you mention quite often is to niche down. Yes. And that really with your aircraft background and everything else, give a little bit of background on how that's niching down. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of people when they talk about writing copy, they they can afford to be a generalist. Um, and if, like I said, going back to if you're just writing more generic sales copy, you can afford to be a generalist. But if you're in more of the article writing space, you really have to have be in an area that you have a deep understanding in. And the reason I say that is because people will sniff out a fraud in a second you know, the blogs I'm talking about and sure. you're, you're there because it ranked high because you wanted to know something. And then you realize it was just a giant bowl of keyword soup. <laughs> you get into it and it's like 400 ads. And then it's just a bunch of gobbledygook crammed into seven paragraphs and, and is completely worthless. And, uh, and yeah, it makes, it makes you mad. And, um, so you're not going to ever drive any actual worthwhile traffic with material like that. So when I talk to people about niching down, it's because they need to pick something that they know very well. Mm -hmm. And that's really is the key to where the riches are. If you can stand to talk about it for a prolonged period of time, because you're going to be talking about it for a really long time and you're going to be talking about it over and over and over again. So it's got to be something that you at least can tolerate enough to talk about constantly. And, um, but it's also got to be something that you know well enough and it could be anything. I mean, it could be Excel. It could be coding. It could be anything. Um, I gravitated towards, I, I spent my entire adult life in aviation. So it just was kind of a natural fit for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand when I was younger that there are the things you think of in aviation, like, you know, the stewardesses and the pilots walking around the airport. That's not where the money's at. It's mm-hmm. in parts, it's in logistics and it's all that stuff. And, um, my background was actually in um, airports, but then before that, it was in aircraft maintenance. So I was a jet mechanic in the Air Force, and I I knew a lot about kind of how logistics and supply system worked. And come to find out, there's a lot of people that like to sell to government contractors or government contractors trying to sell to the government, and they really need people that kind of understand how the supply system works and they understand what an actuator is, you know, for instance. 
if you have a skill that you can niche down on and you can really, really capitalize on it, even if it seems like the most boring thing in the world. The, the weird thing is that there is probably someone out there who will pay you five grand a month because you know it. You mm-hmm. just have to find them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think that also sets you apart when hard times come. And then also we'll talk a little bit about the AI. You're less likely to get replaced by the AI because you know the stuff, you know the business. That's the thing. So I'm a IT project manager. And one of the things that make you sticky is if you know the business and then you Mm -hmm. can also talk about the business and the reasons for the business instead of just going in and it's dates and schedules and everything else. So those are the kind of folks that are going to be more sticky. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You you do need to have a skill and, and be able to sell it that, that you actually know what you're talking about. And if you can do that, you can go really far in mm-hmm. this. And like you said, it, there are a lot of um, more common skills uh, and that can be a good thing because usually the more common skills, there's a lot more jobs out there, but it's also more saturated with workers. Sure. And um, so I guess what I would encourage people to understand is that they don't need to reach a giant swath of the population to make a living at this. You can, you can reach a very tiny segment of the population and still do really well at this. Um, you just really have to hone in on what it is, you know, and, and commit like, that's the thing you've got to commit to it. Sure. And, uh, and that's the hardest thing early on, and I was more guilty of it than anyone. I would be on like uh, LinkedIn learning, trying to learn 50 different things. Like, yeah, I think I need to learn to be a front end developer, even though I don't know anything about it or even care about it, but it seems like something I ought to learn, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would get in there and learn nothing and waste a bunch of time doing that and then do that for five or 10 other disciplines. And what I really needed to do five, six, seven years ago was buckle down on this thing I'm doing right now because then I'm like, well, how much farther ahead would I be on this one little itty bitty corner of the market if I would have just, just really buckled down on it then? Sure. So I mean, you have to have kind of that man, really, really hyper narrow focus. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to do like uh, tech writing or whatever else, like you said, if you're doing actuators and and parts and things like that. You're you're doing technical manuals, tech writing, and yes, things for systems. So, and that makes a difference. Well, and here's the thing that a lot of the guys, if you get on money Twitter, that side of you know the internet, <laughs> these Twitter. guys make it like, man, you got to send 400 cold DMs a day. I'm like, what are you guys? What are you guys doing? You know, like yeah. who are you trying to reach with that? I have two clients that. I'll just say, pay me a whole lot of money. And I have, my vested interest is not outreaching 500 people. It's keeping those two clients really happy. You know, like, (laughs) I don't know how I would replace them necessarily. um, And I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on keeping them happy. Like these guys seem to spend all their time on outreach. And I'm like, how are you making your money then? If you're constantly hopping in and out of sales calls and, and all this stuff, the fortune is in finding a couple of, of clients that you can build a really solid rapport with and convince them that you're the best out there and that they don't, they, they can't afford to lose you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the tips I have is that get out of the 40 hour mindset. Totally. Now, now you've pointed out that 
often you'll end up working a lot of hours, especially, mm-hmm. but if you get out of the trying to fill all your time, yes, right? It's it's not about duplicating your 40 hour a week job. No. It's about finding quality and then charging a lot so yes. that you are the go-to guy. You're not competing with everybody else. And then you had an example, someone calls you up and they need something tomorrow then you're not saying, Hey, I'm six weeks out. Like some of these contractors, you know, like, like building contractors and stuff. Yes. So, you know, and if you charge a lot, then you may not get as many jobs, but you're going to have that availability and you're going to be the go-to guy. Right. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and, and that's another misnomer is the kind of misnomer that, Oh, you can totally nail 20,000 a month with two hours a day. I'm like, who can do that? Like, that's not, come on. Give me a break. Yeah. I work six days a week. I don't work 10 hours a day. I work probably three or four hours of deep work a day, maybe five. But I mean, anyone going into this thinking that that they're not going to work is fooling themselves and they're going to fall on their face, period. Sure. You're going to work a lot. Mm-hmm. All right. And if, if you muff something up, uh, you might be working at two in the morning because you, uh, you blew something off your schedule. And this isn't I also see a lot of guys really da- dogging on the nine to five and I, I get it. I totally get it. I wouldn't ever want to go back there, but there is also, you know, there's a reason why 99% of the people will never go off to their own thing on their own. It's because it's really, really hard Yeah, <laughs> and there's a tremendous amount of risk. I mean, I, I sit here and look at where I'm at and with what I'm earning and it is an incredible blessing. And I also realize it's a house of cards And if my two big clients say both of them, one of them say what their businesses went belly up, you know, and uh, guess where I'd be at? I'd be getting a nine to five period, at least, at least for a while. Um, So, you know, there are trade-offs and everything like in your nine to five, you might be able to be shut your brain off when you leave work. You know, you might be able to just turn it off and say, you know, I don't have to think about that till I'm there tomorrow. Um, it's not like that with this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm laying in bed at night trying to fall asleep, juggling things like, did I, did I get that done today? That was due today. Is that, did I get it done? So, you know, and it's like, it's not like I'll get a counseling for my boss. I might get a $6,000 a month client say, you know, you, you missed it again. And I, I can't work with you and boom, there's, there goes six grand a month. Right. So, um, you know, what can be easily given can be very easily taken away. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause, the. Uh... You know, most of IT is contract Mm -hmm. and one of the benefits of contract is it's usually hourly pay. So I'm like, I'm sitting through, through something that really sucks, like a bad meeting or something. And I'm like, okay, I'm like literally counting the dollars, but I know (laughs) when I go home, most of the contract jobs I've had, I don't think about work when I'm not at work and they limit it to usually not always, but they limit it to 40 hours a week. So I'm like, Hey, this is almost, this is like awesome. But as an employee or, or like you were saying, if, if you work for yourself, you don't think like that. I mean, even doing this, doing a podcast, I'll wake up and I say, Oh, I need to write something down. I have an idea and I have to write it down or whatever else. Walk me through say I lose my job as a project manager. I'm looking for another gig but there are possible opportunities for me to write either from a uh, business analyst aspect 
or from in the field, like project management field, or mm-hmm. even say I put together a uh, ebook on how to grow your podcast, mm-hmm. right? How do you find clients and then get those sticky kind of clients? So that, and that's where I um I find Twitter to be a really fun tool, <laughs> um, but and I, I know there's some people on there that have figured out how to make bank on there, but I have come to the conclusion that the type of writing type of work I do is it's if, if, if the type of clients like a sticky clients are in, in my niche or on there, I, I have no idea where they're at. So, um, I have, I assume that they're out there maybe somewhere, but I've found that it's more in, for me, a more useful tool just for outreach, for doing things like this, you know, getting my sure. name out there. But, um, and, and I've been working on courses and eBooks and stuff. And, um, so what I've always done, uh, I got my start on Upwork. Now this was seven years ago and it was much smaller platform then. Right. Um, so, and it's grown and evolved and especially after 2020, I mean, really it just absolutely blew up and which unfortunately it also blew up with scammers, um, <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. It got, it got so much worse. Um, but Twitter or Upwork is kind of like a double-edged sword. Um, there's no easier way. Like, you know, you hear people on money, Twitter talking about warm and cold clients. Well, the cool thing about Upwork is it's always a warm client because they posted the job there. And the other cool thing is the things you were just talking about project management or, or whatever it is you, you want to do. And you can put those very specific terms in there and get a feel for it. Like, Hey, is there demand? Is there three jobs on here or are there 3,300 jobs that meet that search criteria? Well, there's like 3,300, then there's a pretty good density of people looking for that. And I'm pretty sure if you, if it's anything it related, it's, there's tons of jobs on there. So for you specifically, I think it would absolutely be a huge boom. I mean, it's, Frankly, it was a whole lot of luck that I ever got off the ground because if you type in aviation on there, there might not be any more than five or 10 jobs at any given time. Hmm. So um, now the cool thing is I became the number one rated aviation guy on there and I still am. So if you go on there, um, I'm there. So any gigs pretty much Lee that are aviation, I, I get the, the nod on someone will reach out to me and I've gotten to the point now where I'm not desperate. So if their budget sucks, I just say, no, um, I used to take everything and you'd get some real basket case clients. Um, but incidentally, everyone needs to understand this poor, low budget clients are the worst to deal with. When you get out of those and you get in the ones with money, then suddenly your stress level goes down like 20 fold. All Mm -hmm. right. The ones with money are a thousand times easier to work with. Um, but anyway, so for you, I would absolutely say Upwork because you could spend, I mean, I don't even know, you could spend hundreds of hours building yourself a list of potential pitching targets for mm-hmm. all the different companies where you think might want to take on your type of writing and spend hundreds of hours cold pitching. I have landed a few clients through cold pitching emails. Um, none of them were big. None of them were sticky. All of my big clients have actually been inbound leads off of Upwork. And I'm not supposed to say this, but we all, they, we, t- we always go off of Upwork, um, because they take a 20% cut and that's sure. just ridiculous. So, um, so 
Yeah, but, la 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 la. We <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I can cut and, that out if you want. <laughs> no, no, it's it's just part of the game. Yeah, um, I understand. But as far as being an inbound lead magnet, man, I don't think you could really find anything um, more effective than Upwork because it, you know, you put your profile out there, you build it with, you tailor it to exactly what it is you do. And you know, anyone coming at you and that anyone you're approaching is already warm. Mm -hmm. And if they're coming at you, they're hot. You know, they want you, they want you to work for them. Sure. Um, so as much as I don't like the fees, man, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Plus there, there's money in escrow. So you don't have to worry, Hey, is this deadbeat that just told me, Hey, or is this person gonna be a deadbeat or are they actually pay? No, they're going to pay because that's, you know, that's part of the deal and right. the money is sitting in escrow. So I still think depending on what it is you do now, if you're like just a, a generalist copywriter, like I was talking about earlier, you're not going to make any money. You're going to get stuck in purgatory where these content mills will pull you in there for $5 for a thousand word article, which is, I mean, that's, that's like slave wages. Right. Um, but with a real tangible skill, like you have, uh, there's, there's still money on Upwork. Um, so I would still say people you should, and if nothing else, because what I meant by when they find me off Upwork, what they'll do is they'll find you if you're top rated on there, like I am top rated plus, and then they'll just look you up on LinkedIn. And then, cause I mean, like my profile picture and all my stuff is the same. So it's easy to find who I am. Um, so if nothing else, it still is a really good lead, lead generation inbound lead gen magnet. Um, so, I mean, I still would start there. Like if you've never done this before, it is, it's the best, most controlled environment to kind of figure out what it's like working as a freelancer. Hmm. You know, there's like, there's guardrails installed, I guess is what I'm getting at. Sure. And even if you have a full-time job, I mean, you can be developing those other streams of income using this method, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did it for five years mm -hmm. um, while I was still working full-time for the U S army as a civilian. Absolutely. And, and you should, and that's the thing you should do these things. No one should make the plunge to just suddenly one day decide, you know, I feel like I should quit my nine to five to go pursue this freelancing dream. Like number one, it's if, if you're romanticizing that much, you're not, you have, <laughs> you don't understand it. Like you have to figure out your own taxes. You have to do all these other really unpleasant things. Like it's not really a dream. It's, it, it's a freedom that you can't get any other way, but like, man, the grass is not always greener. It, it can be really hard. So I would see everyone should just go out there, sign up on Fiverr and Upwork and just toy around with it and see if they can land a few even really crappy low paying gigs to see what it's like. Because talking to a client as a freelancer is not like, it's not like talking to your boss, yeah. you know, it's just, it's a very different relationship Yeah, definitely. and you need to get some of those under your belt before you think you're going to do this full time mm -hmm. um, and understand because for one thing, you got to get good at sales because you're selling yourself, you know, you are your product. Right. And you got to get really good at that because, you know, you've got to be pretty damn confident when someone's asking you what your rate is and you're like, oh, it's gonna be 6,000 a month. You gotta be pretty confident when you're doing that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and you need some, it takes practice, you know, because if you're just an egomaniac saying that they're going to see right through you and they're not ever going to hire you. Yeah. So, so yeah, everyone, 
should be testing these things out and seeing because there'd be nothing worse than putting all your eggs in that basket and then suddenly realizing after you quit your job and walked away from your career that you really didn't like this very much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It it seems really cool until you do it every day. It still ends up being a job, dude. Like yeah. It just, it does. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I tip I have is that learn how to sell yourself. Yes. It's ridiculous how many people I've been interviewing lately that can't even give the basic intro speech on tell us a little bit about yourself. That's the perfect elevator speech. Yep. And then we end each interview with why should we choose you over other candidates? And that either intimidates somebody or they get into false humility or whatever else. And this is the, per I mean, it's the easiest question under the sun. You go back to your elevator speech, but people aren't trained to think like that because they've been employees and yes. you know we're getting out of work you know like i said all of it is is contract i mean i've i can count on two fingers the the number of employee jobs i've had in the last 10 years the rest have all been contract that's just that's just the nature of the gig and if you can't sell yourself especially when you have to find a job, a new job, when that contract's up either after six months or a year, you know, you have to get good at it and you have to get good at talking yeah. to clients. Uh, I had a lot of arrogance and stupidity beat out of me by uh, being a contractor. Yeah. Sometimes it does build character and sometimes it does take that. And, um, not that we want, you know, to get the arrogance beat out of us, but, right, right, right. but yeah. I mean, some, but sometimes it takes that, you know, sometimes it, it, it takes some scars to, to get you there. And, you know, I talk to my wife often about this, that I'm really, really thankful that this level of success is actually happening now. I just, I turned 40 last year because mm -hmm. I'm like, if it happened earlier on, I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, honestly, I would just be, I would be, it would be, I would be stupid. I'd be stupid all the time because I wouldn't know how to handle it. You know, I needed more maturity. I needed age, um, to be able to, to be wise about these things and, and right. just to be, to be able to forge these relationships in general. And that's another thing I would say, and I've started kind of gearing my message and towards a, just a little bit older of a crowd. Um, there is no substitute for experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what we're seeing is a lot of, so, so let me give a little rundown kind of on how you might end up writing. There are two ways you can either write directly for the company, which in my, as you get more experience is preferred because they're the ones with the money. All right. Mm -hmm. They're the ones with the purse strings, but usually earlier on, and especially if you're working through Upwork, you're almost never going to work directly for the company. What happens is they will get, they'll hire on a, like an inbound leads agency, you know, a marketing agency. Mm -hmm. and that agency will sit there and say, all right, we're going to give you X batch of content. This is our strategy. This is all your stuff to drive traffic and all that, blah, 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 blah. And then what's happened to me over the years is that I get picked up for these roles because you will end up in like, there'll be for an aviation website for like aviation parts or maintenance or something like that. So all these, you know, young college grads that are 23 years old, that have never actually worked a hard job. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that to be condescending. I mean it because they just haven't done it. Sure. Um, they, they don't know what an aileron is. They couldn't tell you one, you know, if it, if it smacked them in the face. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So they're like, all right, well, we can't have this clueless, you know, guy that was a barista six months ago writing about control tab actuators. You know, it's not going to work. So that's where I've been able to make my inroads. So what I was getting at is with the age is that there, there is a, a noticeable, and I've talked to some guys in agencies about this. There is a noticeable lack of depth of kind of old experienced, like mid-career type guys, especially in the trades hmm. that write, because, you know, a lot of the guys in the trades and I worked with them as an airplane mechanic, they might be a brilliant mechanic, but they can't write. Hmm. Um, so I'm really trying to kind of, I don't know how to say recruit, but that's kind of the clientele I wanted to kind of coach or guys in my demographic 40 ish who have worked in the trades and stuff because they need them out there. Right. They need those guys out there with actual experience that know how hydrogen systems or welding or airplanes or construction equipment or the, the housing market actually works. You know, you know, you want to, you want someone writing about housing that, you know, maybe is, a, is alive now and, and remembers what happened in 2008 also. Mm -hmm. um, so that has somewhat of a historical, you know, context with their experience. Um, so I will say that for any of those guys that are kind of in the mid career, this is not a bad time to start. This is a great time for you to get onto Upwork and flex your knowledge right. because there are a lot of young digital nomads out there that think they're going to crush it, but they, they don't actually know anything. All mm -hmm. they know is how to get a hundred thousand followers. And I'm like, Oh, cool. All right. Well, what else do you know how to do? You know, have you ever run a, a bulldozer, you know, or, or moved dirt, you know, or, or framed a house because that's a very, those are very important things. Um, so there is a shortage of skilled writers that have a, a trades background. So anyone watching this that has those, you have an in right now and you should use it, but it doesn't happen overnight. Like you need to get started right now. Sure. So that you have some time to work with and time to build it up. Yeah. And you've got a coaching little, little plug for you there. You've got your uh, coaching service too, right? I do. I actually just sold one today. I was like, Whoa, what is that? All right. Awesome. So how's yeah, that? Work? And that's, um, I'm still, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't know yet. I'm still working on it. <laughs> I uh, decided to get the service out there first and figure it out as I go. Um, it's a guy I've talked to, a bunch. It was my first actual coaching call and I've, I've already talked to him a bunch. So I'm just going to send him a zoom link, but basically what I, the way I envision it is that I'm going to have him and he's the guy I kind of actually talk more directly about uh, his, I think he's a little bit older than me and he uh, wants to get into real estate writing because he's been a real estate investor um, hmm. on the side for a while now. So I think he has a, a, a few um, long-term rentals uh, like, but his real life is uh He's worked in welding, heavy equipment operation, and hydrogen. I'm like, dude, you have a gold mine background <laughs> to write. I mean, really, I think just a lot of guys, you know, that are kind of our age bracket, it's, it's intimidating. It's like, well, where do you even start, you know? Sure. So, and that's the thing. It, it is intimidating because it's like, I can tell you that the, the money is out there and they're looking for you, but getting traction, that's the hard part. You can start out working with Upwork. A lot of mm -hmm. the gigs you'll be doing like a one-off with a marketing agency or, or an agency, yes. right? Yep. 
So how, how's that work? So you've got an article, you've got, is there a length spe- uh, specified or, or, or how's it work? You deliver that and then uh, that's the end of the gig or how's it work? Usually. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and this is pretty consistent. About a thousand words is kind of your baseline for, for what's considered um, long form, which would be mm-hmm. any of the articles. That's that's usually about the minimum. And I found I couldn't write less than a thousand words because you just, you have to have time to build a narrative, you know, or sure. else it's just going to be crappy. And it's just me, that keyword soup you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, usually no more than 1500 words. So I would say 1200, this is after the course of writing, I don't know, who knows thousand articles um that about 1200 words ends up usually being the sweet spot some some companies are really really hyper specific you know they'll give you like this the, i've had some that give me an outline that's like 4000 words long with all these very, very specific keywords and very specific headings like the h2s h1s h3s and all that stuff i mean like and i'm like dude i mean you already wrote it <laughs> you know <laughs> like and I'm like, you guys, I mean, I, I know it's, it's a staffer that's on salary that built all these, but I'm like, he must've spent like five hours writing this stupid thing. So, so anyway, you'll get those. And then sometimes, man, you won't get anything. You'll get, they'll be like, oh, I don't know, like maybe a thousand words ish. How's that sound to you? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm writing for you, you know, Funny. <laughs> and, um, but usually it's somewhere in between. Usually they'll kind of give you a ballpark. They'll give you some sp- some specific keywords they want in there. And then um, occasionally you'll get them where they want you to, uh, to add imagery also, which that in itself uh, could fill a whole podcast episode on how to get um, images that are uh, attribution free or that you don't get in trouble with copyright infringement by using. Um, So that is, those not very many of them ask for images, but sometimes it does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I mean, for the most part, so and a lot of a lot of the gigs on Upwork are just gigs. It'll be one or two, you know, one or two jobs, one or two articles, and that'll be it. Some, if you can get a client with deeper pockets, you can run on an hourly which is preferable, especially if they're not particularly picky with how you track it. And it works better that way instead of doing a whole series of individual articles. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be doing a, a lot of batches, usually I just would try to stick with with an hourly. Um, those are the client, the dream clients, the ones that just kind of sign your check and they don't ask any questions. Um, wow. And they are hard to find and they're very few and far between, but they are out there. Yeah. You like on retainer with those folks or. Yeah. So when you go into an hourly contract, it, it, it doesn't have an end date. It's just indefinite. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically, um, you, you can just talk to, you can agree to the terms with them. And then as long as you're producing what they deem is appropriate and they'll give you like, uh, 25 hours, you know, and they're like, all right, well, uh, if you deliver as deliverable as four articles edited and proofread and finalized with 25 hours, man, just let the clock run. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So how do you handle, how do you handle changes and, um, misunderstanding about, um, what done means, what success means, right? Yeah, that was definitely something I dealt with a lot more early on. 
and definitely um, something I dealt with a lot with the lower budget clients, to be very honest. And that is why I preached earlier on in our interview about how important it is to keep your, you know, one or two core clients really happy. Because once you figured out what done means to them, you know what it is. If you're always picking up and losing clients, um, it, it means something different to, to everyone. And I've had some just, just send it back like half of the, the articles read and, you know, in with slashes through it. And I'm like, what is this? You know, and that is why one thing I talk about a lot on my Twitter feed is about setting up clear expectations um, at the beginning, uh, particularly in terms of editing and proofing, like how many rewrites are you going to do? How, how extensive of a rewrite? Because that's money. If I've written the whole article and I actually canned a client back in October because I wrote an article and basically she wanted me to completely redo it. And we were just painfully slow getting started mm. and I didn't need the client at the time. And I was like, no, and I would encourage everyone, even if you're early on, if you have super picky clients, just can them. There are more clients that'll come down the road. You will never get your money's worth out of someone that sends you with an article that's full of red ink. So I guess the answer to your question is kind of, you have to go with your gut. If it's a reasonable amount, like I, I would say a reasonable amount is five or six comments, like on a Google doc. I think that's pretty pretty reasonable amount of fixes. Um, if you, if you're getting paragraph after paragraph, go with your gut. If they're saying, "Hey, this person's being a basket case," you need to get get rid of them. Mm-hmm. It, it's not worth your time. It is not worth your time. Your frustration. It's not worth everything that you're going to deal with because I guarantee you, they've done it once. That's the way every single article is going to be. Sure. All right. You, you're not ever going to reach that good point where where it's like, oh, this got easy all of a sudden. It's always going to be bad. So you, you're better off just to cut it off early and you'll get a feel for it. The longer you do this, I, I think I, I tweeted this yesterday or something, but you know, the best defense against a basket case client is a big list of successful um, work. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm sitting here and I have a thousand published articles and I just started working with a new client and they're like, you know, they send me that article back and half of it's read I'm like, nope, this is not going to work. All right, because I know I've gotten paid a lot over the years by other people who this exact same level of work is was perfectly fine. So the the real antidote to to, to what you're saying, the real the real real cure all is actually more work. You need to have a big body of work, a big catalog of work to pull from. A lot of this is intuition. A lot of this freelancing game is intuition. Figuring out which clients you're going to be able to work with. You know, on that first discovery call. A lot of it are things that cannot be necessarily coached or trained. It only comes from experience. So you've got to have a lot of skin in the game is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. If you're not, if you're not willing to deal with those crappy ones early on, you're not going to get to the good ones down the road. <laughs> Proof of work. Yep. That's yeah. true. So you've got some pretty big clients and they're sticky clients. Mm-hmm. You, you talked a little bit about the, the folks that are on uh, money Twitter that are just DMing all all day long. Yes. How do you balance it with trolling for new clients and uh, seeking new clients and balancing that? I mean, how much of your time do you spend looking for new clients versus uh, the existing ones? How much do you have to balance it out? I probably could spend a lot more time on it right now, but I've been very happy with what I've got. 
-hmm. But at at the same point in time, um, I'm cognizant of the fact that, that if I lost one of my two big ones, it would, uh, it would be fairly, very detrimental. So, um, I really haven't done much cold outreach. Well, so one of them, I just started working with back in December. So like, he's pretty new. I kind of have taken my foot off the gas for, for outreach to focus on really, really good deliverables for the ones I've got. And, you know, my evidence is he pays reliably on time and he does not gripe about my quality of work. So I know that he's happy and I'm not worrying about doing a lot of outreach right now because I mean, outreach takes a lot of time. Right. To try to curate a list of two, three, 400 emails and then tailor each email a little bit to, to that and then send, send it out to me. The way I look at it is that, man, that two hours every morning, guys are like, yeah, you should spend an hour or two every morning doing cold outreach. I'm like, well, that's an hour or two I could have spent on client work, you know, that's actually already getting paid. So I do a lot less now. And some of that is just more of in a level of a confidence that I understand just because I've been doing this long enough that stuff comes and goes and I don't have to constantly be out there, you know, shaking the bushes to find it. This isn't some sort of weird new ageism or anything. It's just that I've seen it happen enough times to know that work comes and goes. And, but when you've got really good clients there, your number one focus has got to be keeping them sticky, keeping them happy keeping traffic being driven to their website. I would much rather put my effort into ensuring that traffic is being driven to the website of the guy that's already paying me than spending two hours a day trying to find someone that who maybe, maybe or maybe won't pay me. Hey, if you like the conversation with John, go over to our Patreon and join our Patreon. There's extras on there from this episode. We talk about should a writer be worried about AI? We talk about SEO. We talk about mom and pop shops and catering to them. That's over on our Patreon at patreon.com slash thrive in the future. Thank you for listening to Thrive in the Future podcast. Like us and follow us on your favorite podcast app. And leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. That helps drive the algorithm and pushes Thrive in the Future up in the search results. Thank you. Next time on Thrive in the Future podcast. Next time on Thrive in the Future, I have Little Pine Farmer on Twitter, and we're going to talk about memetics and genetics.